Um, good morning and welcome. We are officially at the hump week, what I call the hump week. Um, the middle, middle of <laughs> the middle of the fast where people kind of start to disappear a little bit. <laughs> and then, uh, they, and then the next Sunday is like, you give that rally and everyone shows up again on Monday. Just over the last 15 years, it's just kind of been like that. Great turnout the first week, you know, cause excited in the middle. I mean, this is kind of good. People are battling, you know, uh, and a few losses are, are you know, uh, uh, accepted. Uh, and then the last week, people really rally up because they want to finish strong. Um, and so <clears throat> we're continuing on, on John chapter 7. And uh, I'll start off just uh, probably the first 10 verses. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. <clears throat> if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here, but your time, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. And then in verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, <clears throat> then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, Where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, He is a good man. Others were saying, No, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. If you guys remember the very opening statement, the first chapter and verses of John, the context that John gives, uh, whereas the other gospel starts from his genealogy, the other gospels start from the baptism and the calling of the disciples, and, and they give kind of the birth history, whereas John starts off with the com cosmic context and basically saying, no, this is God who was there from the beginning. And John's objective, primary goal of writing the whole Gospel of John is to answer the question, who is Jesus? And so all throughout, you'll see this dialogue here again in chapter 7. Who is he? Is he good? Is he bad? Is he you know, of the kingdom? Is he of something else? Is he my brother? Is he really the Messiah? <clears throat> you know, some people uh, uh, love him, support him, and some people hate him and want to kill him. And so in verse 1... It says, after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Already at this point, early on, the religious leaders and the Jews are seeking to take Jesus' life. It's not a battery issue. Battery's fine. Um, 
And uh, so what's going on? Like, what happened? All of a sudden, Jesus is out there doing some good preaching. People, you know, like the word. Uh, uh, he did a miracle. People are fascinated, excited. You know, the potential and possibility that this might be. And we get to John chapter 7, and people are planning already or wanting already to kill him. What in the world happened? Where did it go from seemingly okay and on the upside? All of a sudden, it takes this turn and now people are out to get him. And it started in chapter 6, verses 41. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he basically equates himself like the manna that fell from heaven. And then Jesus goes on to say, right, we understand because we understand communion. We understand that Jesus is the body uh, uh, that was broken, right? And so we take communion because Jesus teaches about communion. Jesus says, when you take the bread, you break it and you eat my bread. When you take the cup, you take it in remembrance of me. So we understand that Jesus is talking, uh, 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 you know, giving a foreshadowing of the bread and the, and the wine that we're going to take. But at this point, they didn't understand that. And so when Jesus says, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you know, people are like, what kind of saying is this? Like, who, 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 who says stuff like this? And then secondly, how is this possible? And so pretty much... Pretty much, every, almost everybody leaves Jesus. It, 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 you know, it, it seems like only a handful of the disciples have stayed on since then. And, and basically, this is what's happening. Everyone, to a degree, is comforted. Everyone, to a degree, is entertained. Everyone, to a degree, is encouraged, strengthened. About up until the you know, threshold or the line where Jesus starts uh, coming against um, their way of life. They start saying things like, how can, you know, they start thinking things like, how can you say that you're God? You know, it's one thing to help people, to heal people, you know, to, to feed people. But how, how can you say that you are of God? How can you say that you are God? And so from this point forward, they're like, prove it. Prove it. Prove to me, God, that you're God. Prove to me, God, that you care for me. Prove to me, God, by answering this prayer, by doing this. And so at this point, they're like, what? Who, you know, who do you think you are? They, they start to take offense. Right? And so there's this threshold, isn't there? Come on, let's be honest, church. There's this threshold that all of us have, spoken or unspoken, identified or unidentified. God, I love you. God, I'll follow you. But we all have this breaking point. Like, don't touch my kids. You know, if they get sick or something terrible happens, that's, that's a clear indicator, God, that you're not for me and therefore I'm not for you. What? I mean, you may not say it. You may not outright say it or write it. But there's something back there. God, you know, I love you. I'll seek you. And, um, you know, so long as I, you know, my, my health is okay. God, I'll love you and seek you so long as uh, uh, my, my marriage is okay. God, I'll love you and seek you so long as I get married. God, I'll love you and seek you so long as I have kids. And there's this unspoken threshold. And, and so Jesus hits that nerve, right? He's coming. He's loving. He's helping people, feeding people, ministering. And that's all fine and dandy. God is good. Jesus, you're, you're fantastic. What a prophet. Hey, maybe you're even the Messiah. But then there's a threshold. And once 
Jesus starts to challenge your way of life. So this, this is what the Pharisees want. This is what the religious people, this is what the Jews want. Man, this is great. And they want Jesus to fit into their value systems and their life and the direction that they're going. The moment Jesus says, no, don't go in that direction, go in this direction. No, actually, those foundations and those truths that you're living on, actually, they don't, they don't fly in the kingdom of God. It's, it's the opposite. You got to go this way. The moment that happens, the moment they realize that change is involved, that their way of life is not, uh, uh, you know, I guess in the way uh, uh, approved by God, at that point, they oppose God. They start to oppose Jesus. The moment God challenges the things that we cherish or value is, is a moment of opposition, is a moment where we have to decide whether we submit and follow, or at that point we start, you know, I guess we start taking tallying points and things or whatnot. And so anyways, so I just want you to see that picture. That's why all of a sudden in chapter 7, let's kill him. <laughs> you know, he doesn't fit into, I think he's coming against our religious institution. I think he's coming against the way that, that we did things all these years and that we want to do things. And he's saying come, something, come, he's basically saying give it all away. And, and, and they come in opposition to him. Um, Jesus is not afraid of opposition. Jesus is polarizing. Okay, I hope you figured that out by now as you read the New Testament early on in, in the chapters. Jesus is polarizing. He's not on a popularity campaign. He's not, he's not, he's not trying to win uh, 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 you know, votes. Okay? If you look through the New Testament, you'll see you either love him and follow him or you hate him and despise him. There's no middle ground. Right? There's no middle ground to get comfortable with. A little bit of Jesus here, a little bit of the you know, marketplace here, a little bit of my leisure here. There's no middle place with Jesus. There's no safe place with Jesus, right? You take his message to heart and then you give yourself fully to him and, and, or, or you oppose him. But this idea that we're somewhere in the middle is, is a complete fallacy. We're, I think that's dangerous. I think that's why he comes against that so strongly, lukewarm. Lukewarm is not because he, he, he dislikes you or, or dislikes us or dislikes you know, our, our devotion. It's, it's just it's so dangerous. Know what you want. Right? Follow me and, and, and commit yourself to me and, and experience life and eternity like no other. But if you're not going to, you know, this partial stuff, you know, it, it's, it's better off if you're just hot, you know, or, or, or better off if you're cold. And so you can see here that Jesus is not trying to uh, build a mega church. <laughs> he just lost all his followers. I mean, I mean, even the disciples probably at this point are like, what in the world is he talking about? And so, so they're out to get him now. Um, uh, I see a picture here. You know, his, his, his family is not very supportive of him at this point. Don't believe him. And I think there's a bit of grace there. I think Jesus understands. Yeah, of course, you've seen me grow up as a child. And then now, you know, claiming to be the Messiah. I, I can understand. So they're basically saying, like, go out and go out publicly and go to Judea. Why don't you go to Judea? Anyone who wants to do anything big does it in Judea. They don't do it in the secret. Or, or, and Jesus says, no, it's not my time yet. There's a divine timing. And yet at the same time, uh, uh, he's drawn. He wants to be there. He wants to be around the people. Uh, um, you know, but not, there's a platform. And he's not ready to take that platform. There would be a time where he comes up publicly and before everyone and on trial and between judges and authorities and leaders and, and the whole world. It's like a broadcast live on live television, uh, online, you know, uh, uh, streaming. But that time is not now. That platform is not, is not there. He hasn't opened himself to that yet. And so yet he goes 
too, uh, uh, but not publicly, secretly. Um, and so I just see this picture of Jesus. You know, sometimes I think we see Jesus as like this modest, humble, quiet, and he is, and he's gentle and he's loving. Um, but I think sometimes the picture we get of Jesus and the picture that maybe, maybe incorrectly we get of Christians is that Christian, you know, maybe before you were a believer, you thought this of uh, believers, that Christians are supposed to be some type of doormat, right? You just, you just bend over, you just, you just bow down, you just, you just get out of the way, you just, you just lay yourself down all the time. But that's not the picture I see of Jesus in the New Testament. I see him contending. I see him fighting. I see him getting upset. I see him flipping tables. I see him driving out money changers. And so, you know, he gets upset at, at a fig tree. We'll, we'll probably get that, that, that teaching later. You know, he gets upset. You know, he teaches people about flesh and blood. He knows very well people are going to leave, right? And he's not afraid. Man, he's a fighter. You know, he's okay that people take offense. He's going to speak truth. He's more concerned about what God thinks of him than what his other believers or Christian friends or the world thinks of him. And so he's not afraid to lose members, so to say, right? And so Jesus is a fighter. Um, and so he's basically saying here, crucifixion has its time. Uh, he didn't just lay down. He wasn't a pushover. He wasn't a doormat. Uh, he was an advocate. Man, he fought for what he believed. And right now, the season and the time that he was in was to train uh, uh, up his disciples and followers. He still had some time where he had to you know, plant seeds, train them, and develop them. Uh, so he knew the season that he was in. Um, you know, as believers, uh, I, I, you know, this idea that, oh, I have to always you know, surrender or always submit or always give in to a fight, I don't necessarily agree with that. There are times, you know, uh, 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 things that are righteous, things that you believe are of God, that you, you, you do have to, you know, put up a fight. You, you do have to speak your mind, so to say. But, but again, if this is showing us anything, there's timing, isn't it? Right? I mean, you could be so right in the argument, so to say, scripturally, biblically, theologically, but the timing of what you say could be so wrong, couldn't come at the worst time, right? And so you're in something with someone and he or she says something and theologically you know you're right, but you're, 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 we are tone deaf, you can't read the room, you know, EQ-wise, and, 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 and we're out to correct, but in so doing that person gets broken. Does that make sense? Right? I mean, the Lord has to tell you. The Lord has to give you revelation. First of all, for what you should say and how you should say it, right? We're really good at that. But then we're not really good at when we should say it. Right? And so the Lord, I mean, I mean don't be so anxious. Don't be in a rush. <clears throat> you know, I have a, I have a you know, the, the long game. <laughs> you know, 10 years, 5 years. Right? Um, and, 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 and I've seen it where God changes people's hearts. In the beginning of ministry, when I would see something in opposition or, or I felt something was wrong and I would go right after it and I, and I would say and, and it would cause some distance and conflict. And then over time, I've been doing this for 20 years, I realized, what's the rush? You know, you know what the rush is? Can I tell you what the rush is? Right? I, can I tell you where the devil operates? You guys want to know? Yeah? Oh, and he's like, Pastor Sam, how do you know where the devil operates? Because right? I failed many times. Here's, here's where the devil operates. And, and, and once I got past this, man, I, I slept like a baby. 
Okay, so there's someone who's, whether it's in my home, whether it's my child, or whether it's a church member, whether it's in, in a you know, marketplace, someone who I believe is, is, is uh, you know, uh, uh, made a decision or, or, or said something that I believe is incorrect. Okay, well, you know, whatever. And, 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 the, and the higher position authority they have, the more, more of a big deal it is. Um, you want to know where the devil operates? Right? Because I know... Then if I have a loving relationship with my wife, very little things happen with my wife, that's a bad example, with my child or with church leaders or church members. Um, um, and and uh, here's, here's, here's where things get murky. Someone comes to me and says, hey, Pastor Sam, you know, this person and this person and this person. Right? Whereas I have a relationship, I have a trusting relationship there's a time and a place where we're going to have this conversation. Everything's going to work out. God's going to bring revelation. And, and, and so, you know, this person's going to come into right standing. But usually where things get messed up is when one or two or three people start saying things. And then I feel rushed. I feel anxious. And then I jump the gun. And then I bring, I force the, the, the uh, you know, thing. And my heart maybe is not in the right place. Maybe I didn't ask God. Maybe I didn't spend time. And then I, I just say things because I patch up. You know, this happens all the time. You know, a, 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 a child of mine does something. You know, and I, I react because of the offense of others, right? Even though I myself have not been offended. And then, and then it just makes this whole thing. And, and so there's a time, there's, there's a place to communicate in love, with grace, in the spirit. And you can't be rushed by, and, and that's usually when things get kind of murky and, and mixed up and messed up. And so, you know, there, there's a timing for all things. There's a divine timing. Jesus says, you know, my time is not here yet. And I think this morning, you know, what I really want us to focus on is getting to this place in our prayers, whatever it is you're contending for, to say, God, what is your timing? Right? There's so many things we're right on. There's so many things theologically, you know, we can, we can prove. But God, what is your timing? And that takes incredible discipline. That takes an incredible amount of love. That takes an incredible amount of humility. Right? And, and, and even there's like... Uh, Remember, uh, uh, who was it? Um, uh, Jacob and Esau, right? Broken relationship with his brother. And at some point he knows that there's going to be uh, a day of reckoning, right? But he sends gifts, like waves, little signs. Little... And so even in communication, there's ways to bridge the gap. There's way to shore up and to kind of take baby steps before that. And so, so all to say, um, you know, I'm giving you kind of two messages this morning. Jesus was not a pushover. He knew when to fight. Uh, um, you know, he, he was polarizing. I mean, the reality is, as you look at Jesus, people either loved him or hated him. There was no middle ground. Okay? And so, uh, as you pursue Jesus, and as you contend and speak truth, you shouldn't be afraid of whether or not, you know, people like you, or whether or not you're, you're offensive to, you know, uh, other believers. You know, in anything, uh, your heart should be, God, is this pleasing to you? And if it's pleasing to God, then that's the way that you should go. When it comes to correcting and rebuking others, uh, theologically and, and rightness and all that, but there's a timing thing. And, uh, and, and I believe that um, God can make that clear to us. Uh, just once again, you know, crowds were grumbling uh, among the crowds. I mentioned that Jesus was polarizing, no middle ground. And uh, the offense comes, really, because, and they say, it says this in verse 27, how can this be the Messiah? In verse 27, how do we know where this man is from? We know where this man is from. 
And so it's kind of like if they didn't know him, they're like, this guy is awesome. But the more they get to know him, man, who does this guy think he is? <laughs> right? And you'll find that principle in leadership as well. Right? Uh, it's, it's kind of a, you know, uh, 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 like, like you come to church, you meet the pastor, you meet the leaders, and from a distance, and they help, and they serve, and it's fantastic. But isn't it true? Isn't it true? The more you spend time with your leaders, the more you spend time with someone over time, and, and their flaws and their shortcomings and weaknesses are exposed. You know what I mean? And then over a period of time, it's like, what? Who do you think you are, man? But the person has actually never really changed. Has always been the same. It's just that we've gotten closer. And yeah, we can do a whole marriage seminar on that. I'll save that for another day. <laughs> right? Uh, I'll have to read about it. Um, because, anyways. Um, okay. So, so, man. No wonder. No wonder, all throughout the New Testament, Paul, Jesus, you know, letters, be gracious, forgive one another, bear with one another, keep the peace, be unified, everywhere. Why in the world is it repeated so many times? Why? Why are these letters being sent and circulated? Why? Because the early church, the first believers, the, the first impact, ground zero of the Holy Spirit, they had the same issues that we have today. They have the same issues. It's not very far in, in the book of Acts where it's like, oh, I follow Apollos. No, I follow Apostle Paul. There's, there, all that stuff exists. Oh, this person is doing that and, 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 and living in sin. Oh, you know, it should be like that. You know, what are you going to say about that, Paul, the church? Right? And so, so two things uh, we got to close with this morning. Two things that we must commit ourselves to. One... We must remember, we must remember with our brothers and sisters at SP, you must remember this. You got to take this to your grave. There's more that brings us together than that separates us. I don't care how different, I don't care how worlds apart, doesn't matter where you grew up, there's more that brings us together than separates us. Amen? Amen? We're all in the same boat, right? Christ crucified, redeemed us, and saved us. So we're all... There's, there's more that brings us together, right, than separates us. SP is one of the most diverse churches that I've ever been to anywhere in the world, right? And so uh, these things and, and, and things, you know, surface. There's more that brings us together than separates us. The blood of Christ, our faith in Christ, our forgiveness in Christ. And then secondly, man, we're not going to make it. No church is going to make it. No community is going to make it. No family is going to make it without grace. We got to give. That's that, that's that like special sauce. You know, you go to your favorite restaurant. like, can I get some extra of that sauce? Man, that grace. Man, we we got to pour out that special sauce, right? When it comes to church, when it comes to house church, when it comes to leaders, when it comes to family and, and friends, we got to have an extra measure of grace uh, in that. Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. And so they started taking offense. I know this guy. Man, this guy is just down the street. I grew up, I, I know his parents. Right? And so it seems like the more intimate and the more personal you know, there's room, there's room. It gives room for the devil to bring offense. Mm, Jesus, we just come before you this morning and
God, we just pray against offense. God, we pray against offense, Lord. It, it just is the bitter root. Um, the enemy is working overtime to get brothers and sisters against one another, to take offense over one another. Um, you know, from a distance, you know, pastors, house church leaders, ministers, people even, you know, fantastic, you know, honeymoon phase. And then we get into house church and then we say something like, but you got to come regularly. What? What? Who are you? You're not God. And we have all these wonderful reasons for it, uh, but not always the opportunity to explain it. Uh, It's a a proven product. Um, But Lord, let let there be grace. Lord, there's, there's, Singapore is such an amazing, an amazing nation. It's such diversity, and not without, you know, some some hurt and brokenness, but somehow uh, the nation's leaders are able to uh, uh, keep things together. Uh, but Lord, if there's been a test like any other, it's, it's this COVID season, not, not just nationally, globally, but in the home and families, and certainly in the churches, we see it everywhere. It, it's, it's, it, you'd be blind not to see it. It's everywhere. It's in, it's in government everywhere. It's, it's in families everywhere. It's in churches everywhere. Uh, man, the, the, the devil is licking his chops. This is, this is his window. To bust up families, to bust up churches, to bust up uh, uh, governments. And so, Lord, we just come, Lord, and we humble ourselves and we want to come in the opposite spirit. Lord. We recognize how we are unified. We recognize no matter our, our, our skin tone, language, place of origin, education, uh, neighborhood, <laughs> we're no different, God. In your eyes, man, we were fallen, we were separated, and that's all you cared about. And then you came and you died so that all of us would know that we are equal standing before you as so long as we submit and, and, and believe that you are the Christ. And so, Lord, we submit to ourselves, or submit to you, submit ourselves to you. Lord God, we humble ourselves. God, give us, teach us extra grace. Lord, teach us how to forgive one another. Teach us how not to hold a grudge. Teach us how not to take offense, Lord God. And and even if others take offense, wow, what, what a mark. I mean, Jesus, like you, even if others take offense, and maybe for good reason, but God, that we don't take offense at their offense. And uh, Lord, that, that um, man, as a church and as leaders and myself, God, we have so much to learn. God, give us divine timing. Lord, it's, it's never about just being right. God, you were right. You were more right than anyone on the planet. And yet you waited. And beyond that, you went to the cross. And then there was a time and a way in love, weakness, uh, power in weakness that you would convey to the whole world. Help us to understand and, and, and catch a wind of that divine flow and the divine seasons and the divine timing. Help us to not be so anxious. Lord, if there's an anxious spirit in us, uh, Lord, calm our hearts right now. So, Lord Jesus, would you come and just uh, touch every heart, every mind, every person, Lord God? Um, yeah, Lord, would you begin to massage away the offense God, this, this, this bitter pill. And uh, help us to have uh, forgiveness and grace. Help us to see, God, that the power of your love and grace is like a mighty current that carves through you know, granite mountains and, and, and can change 
the, the, the demographics and, and, and just, you know, literally change continents, literally change the world. We see that, God. Um, and, and it's not, gosh, it's really not a fast way, is it? You know, you took thousands of years the development of, of, of bringing Christ. And so, Lord, help us to have that type of patience. Um, help us to mature in you. Uh, we thank you, Lord. Jesus, we give you all the praise. God, we give you all the worship. Um, man, you're worthy of our praise. You're a fighter. You're a contender. And uh, Jesus, thank you for reminding us that you are fighting and that you are contending for us. Man, he fought and he contended, not only for the people then and there, but for the people that would come. And he even says it for the believers that haven't seen him. And he's talking about you. Jesus is fighting and contending for all believers for all times. Man, praise God that we have a God like that. Someone who's not a, you know, afraid of the crowd. Someone who's not afraid to speak up. Man, when he went you know, uh, you know, to, to the cross in front of the whole crowd and, and, and submitted himself, man, he, man he, he was taking our place. He was like, this is, this is for Sam. This is for Annie. This is for Lauren. This is for Ken. This is for Cindy. This is for Seth. Man, I, I, you know, he, he went up there and he contended for us. He fought for us, right? Sometimes he fought by, by you know, pushing tables. Sometimes he fought by keeping his mouth shut. And so, Lord, we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. Let's respond in response to Jesus. Let's just give him a